We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Also going to want to put a thumb in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. With your attention for the next few moments, I realize that I am competing against coffee and donuts, uh, but I bring to you the word of God, and hopefully that stirs a hunger inside of your heart. I want to teach on devices of our enemy. Devices of our enemy. Can we set aside our phones, our Bibles, lift our hands into the air and ask God to have his way in this place for the next few moments. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, your mercy. I thank you, God, for your presence. I thank you for the revelation that comes when the spirit begins to move in our hearts and our minds. I pray that our eyes would be open, our ears would be attentive to your voice, God. I I pray that you would help us to discern and to know by your spirit things that we cannot discern and know of our own understanding and by our own power. I pray, God, that you would help us today. Bring this word into our heart and let it grow as good seed in Jesus name. Amen. Devices of our enemy. Now I'm not here this morning to give our enemy too much credit because I firmly believe that the spirit filled believer has power over the enemy. Jesus told us as much in Luke chapter 10 when he said, behold, I give you power over serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But he has had a lot of time to study, not just you, but all of humanity. Perhaps that makes you uncomfortable today And though he does not know you to the depth that your heavenly father knows you, he Satan did not watch you be formed in the womb. He did not know you before you were born like your heavenly father did. But he has had time to study you. He knows your habits. He knows your strength. He knows your weaknesses. But the Bible helps us to know him. And we are not to be ignorant of his devices. If you'll allow me to make a a sports comparison or a sports metaphor, a quarterback can often step to the line of scrimmage and simply by the positioning of the defense and the personnel that are on the field, because they've done homework and because they've done film study, they can anticipate what 11 people are about to do just by where they stand because of work they've done. I believe that through the power of the Holy Ghost and through the Word of God, we we don't have to be blind to the tactics and to the devices of the enemy of our soul. But we can have a heads up. We can have discernment. We can have direction through the power of the Word and through the power of the Holy Ghost. I was reading this week as we were out in the hills uh, through the, the book of Nehemiah. And it seems like every time I read through Nehemiah, there is just 
something new or something different, a different angle that seems to leap out into it. And God began to, to show me, he began to help me see the various devices, the various tactics of Nehemiah's enemies that were utilized to attack him. The devil is very interested in, first of all, stealing, killing, and destroying. He hates you. He hates everything about you. When, when you were born again, his level of hatred for you increased even more because now you are, you are freed from his kingdom and you are living in God's kingdom. And so his, his desire is to bring you down by whatever means necessary. Another desire that he has is to do whatever he can to resist the advancement of God's kingdom. If he cannot stop you from living in God's kingdom, then his secondary goal and purpose is to stop you from being effective in the kingdom and to stop the kingdom from advancing. It is his desire to stop you from having an effect in advancing, having a part in bringing the kingdom forward. I believe there are some parallels that we can look through through the story of Nehemiah. Now, these devices, these weapons, as we begin to go through them, they could be used either individually or simultaneously. I, I don't want to say that this is the, the correct order, the only order that it, it, it flows in. Some backstory, perhaps, uh, probably everybody under the sound of my voice has heard the, the story or read through the story of Nehemiah. But the children of Israel are now in captivity in Babylon and now in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And sin has removed the protection of Jehovah off of his people. Mercy carried them for a long time. Time. I'm thankful for the mercies of God that hold back his wrath and his judgment. But after prophet after prophet was scorned and rejected and not listened to, God eventually allows and sends the Babylonians to come and take the people out of the promised land. The temple is destroyed. The walls are torn down. The, the city is burned. The walls are burned. Now, walls were of great importance to the ancient city. To have your walls torn down was is a dishonor. It was shame. It was an embarrassment. It would be uh, similar, not not even close, but far far greater than uh, if if your prized football team or apparently there's a lacrosse tournament going on. If if the Watertown lacrosse team was defeated and completely annihilated and obliterated, it would bring shame upon the city. Now magnify that to like the nth degree, and that's how they would feel to watch the walls of Jerusalem be ripped down and destroyed. Proverbs gives us a little bit of insight in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28. It says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. It, it's a shameful thing as somebody that has no rule over their spirit. Even as we move into this century, we, we, we can identify them. We can mark them. And the Bible compares them to a city without walls. Nehemiah is a largely autobiographical account as the man, Nehemiah, begins to share his experiences. He is a slave in the land of Persia, but as far as slavery goes, he's got a pretty solid job. He's the cupbearer to the king in Shushan, the palace. 
But the Bible records one day that Hanani, one of his brethren, comes to him and Nehemiah asks him, how is it going in Jerusalem? How's everything? How, how, what, what's it like in Jerusalem? And his brother says to him, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are of great or are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. The entire book proves the old adage, exposure breeds a burden, because the moment that Nehemiah was exposed to the truth of where Jerusalem stood, he was exposed to the real state of Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem. There was a burden that was birthed inside of Nehemiah. Your adversary knows this Full well, and so he'll work to prevent exposure to that burden. He'll put anything in front of you that he can to keep you busy and to keep you focused on anything else. But when that came in front of Nehemiah, oh, he could not ignore it any longer. When he heard of the state of his people, something inside of him broke. He sat down, he wept, he mourned. He fasted, and most importantly, and it's a theme throughout the entire book, he prayed. Nehemiah went to the Lord and began to pour out his heart and pour out his burden. And now he, he, he goes about his job one day, and he goes in front of the king. And evidently, he's still in this time of mourning, which is dangerous. And so the king, it's, it's against protocol for him, the cupbearer, to go before the king with, with a sad countenance. But he was unable to just fake it. He's, he's unable just to pretend that everything is all right. And so the king noticed and says, what, what's going on? And God opens a door for Nehemiah to ask a pagan king for, for license, to ask a pagan king for finances and permission. And he, he is given permission by Ahasuerus, the king, to go back to Jerusalem and begin to build the wall. We pick up in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. And it says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. The devil has done everything he can do to stop the establishment of a truth-teaching church here in Watertown. He'll do everything he can do to stop the establishment of a, of a Jesus-name baptizing church in Millbank or in Webster or in Brookings or in any city, any place that he can. And it grieves him exceedingly that somebody's eyes would be opened and somebody would begin to feel the burden of the lost around them. It grieves him when somebody feels the burden of their lost neighbors and their lost co-workers. It, it begins to grieve him exceedingly. It bothers him, but I don't care if it bothers him. There's a call from God uh, that somebody has to answer. Somebody's got to stand up uh, and begin to advance the kingdom. So Nehemiah, a little bit further down, we're going to be going through a, a large portion of scripture in Nehemiah. In chapter 2 and verse 18, he begins to tell the people and the princes of the people of the hand of God, which was good upon him and the king's words that were spoken unto him. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they began to strengthen their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah 
the Ammonite and Geshem, the Arabian heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will you rebel against the king? And Nehemiah answers them. He says, the God of heaven is going to prosper us. We as servants will arise and build, but you don't have any portion. You don't have any right nor memorial in Jerusalem. And so the people rise up catching the vision of the leader. They rise up and they begin to build. They're led, the Bible tells us, first by the priest. The priest rise up and begin to build first. But look at what happens in chapter 4 and verse 1. This is the first device of the enemy. It came to pass when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now his sidekick Tobiah is with him. And he said, even if that that they are building, if a fox goes up, it's going to tear down their wall. It's so flimsy that, that it, nothing, this, this lightweight fox going up on it, it's going to bring it back down. The first device of the enemy that was leveled against Nehemiah and the people of Israel. And I believe a common tactic leveled against anybody with a burden that has a hunger to advance the kingdom of God is mockery. It requires little in the way of resources because the devil does not have limitless resources. Your God has limitless resources. Your God has all power and authority, but the devil is limited. He is not omnipresent. He does not have access to creative power. He can only be in one place at one time. And just by simple math through the word of God, we know that he's got one third the manpower that heaven does, even if you removed an almighty and all powerful God from the equation. Now, the problem with mockery is that it is enough to stop many, if not most, 21st century apostolics. Because we have a deep fear of being made fun of, and we need to get over it. See, we just got to settle it in our hearts. It has been our lot since the day of Pentecost to be mocked and to be made fun of. Now, I feel it, and you feel it. And we're human, and that feeling may never go away. It's always going to be there in some form or some fashion because human nature wants to be liked. I want to be accepted. I want people to pat me on the back. I want to feel like I fit in. That is normal. But I ask you today, who are you more concerned about pleasing? As this World goes on and on. We're going to look a whole lot more strange to this world. You should prepare your heart. You should ready yourselves to be called unjustly a bigot, a hater, a phobe of whatever you stand in opposition against. Because the greater, the the, the wilder the world gets uh, and the stronger you stand on the word of God, there's going to be a great chasm that is opened up. And the enemy, if he can just utilize minimal resources and bring you into line and silence you by mocking, then he's, he's used very little in the way of energy and he can just get you to be quiet. Now, Tobiah was closer to the truth than he realized. 
If the Jews were building in their own might and their own power, then even a fox going up on the wall would tear it down. But I'm so thankful to know that it's not by our might and it's not by our power. The Lord is building his house and we are partnered with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So when the enemy begins to mock and he begins to make fun, you just put your feet in the ground. You grab a hold of the word of God and you just keep going forward because the kingdom must advance. They called Jesus everything. They talked about his father. They said he had a devil. Why would it be any different for you and I? Now, Nehemiah's response was, was perfect. It was prayer. He didn't fight back with words. He didn't start his own social media campaign. He just said, God, you hear what they're saying. Would you look upon it? And God uh, took care of it. And they kept building the wall. No matter what the world is saying about you. No matter what your coworkers say about you. No matter what your unsaved family says about you. Uh, you just keep advancing the kingdom. You keep your focus on putting another brick in the wall. Every day, uh, advance the kingdom. Every day, another brick. Every day, move it forward. But not long after the mockery comes a second weapon. And that is violence or the threat of violence. In chapter 4 and verse 7, when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard, they're adding enemies now. There's more people listed. They heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and the breaches began to be stopped. Then they were very wroth. They went from grieved to wroth. To very wroth. Because as you advance the kingdom of God, your enemy is going to grow more uncomfortable and more angry. And that means you're headed the right direction. The greater the resistance, it could be a great sign to you that you are walking the right way. Just keep going the way that you're going. They conspire all of them to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Prayer was again the response. And in addition, they set a watch, one sword in one hand and a shovel in the other. Now, we are blessed to not have to war against flesh and blood. We live in a different context in a different setting than the children of Israel of old. And so I, I, I don't have to take a sword in this hand. I don't war against flesh and blood, but you still need to have a spiritual watch set over your life. You read, and they began to guard the low places in the wall. They, they put armed People at the lowest places, the vulnerable places. And at night, families would stand guard over their own home. I would encourage every family, I would encourage every individual, put a guard in your vulnerable places. The enemy knows where your vulnerable places are. You should too. You should be asking God. You should be asking leadership. You should be asking your brothers, where, where am I vulnerable? Where am I low? What's, a, what's an entry point for the enemy? And that should be a place of prayer. There should be a guard set there with a spear in hand uh, and a trowel in the other hand. Because once you're aware of the low spot, build it up. Advance the kingdom. Grow it. Take out that vulnerability. And families, begin to watch over your home. Begin to to protect your home because if he can gain access in one part of the wall, the entire wall 
is worthless. Now, violence is a favored tactic of the enemy. And I wouldn't discount it simply because we live in America and seem to be currently sheltered from it. Your brothers and sisters all across this world are enduring a great affliction for the gospel. Acts chapter 2, there was mocking. Acts chapter 4, there was threatening. But by Acts chapter 5, a beating was handed out. And by Acts chapter 7, somebody was stoned for believing what we believe. Uh, Do not discount the desire of the enemy, even in this country, to hand physical violence against the church. If mocking won't do it, uh, he would love nothing more than to begin to put his hand upon your physical body and to begin to cause violence against you. Even here in South Dakota, your apostolic forefathers faced acts of physical resistance. The first time that the gospel came to South Dakota in Del Rapids, trying to hold a tent revival, the tent cords were repeatedly cut. An angry mob got together because there was a Pentecostal church that stepped in and they smashed the organ. But there's only one response to violence against the church. There's one response to violence in the kingdom. And that is uh, to lift our hands and to lift our voice with rejoicing. When the apostles were beaten, they went back to the church rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Uh, If the enemy wants to come after this body, uh, he wants to begin to beat this body. It means the kingdom is advancing and it's threatening his kingdom. And so thank you, Jesus, that you are growing yours. There was a third device of the enemy, and this one was more subtle. There's no record of Sanballat or Tobiah here. In Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 14, Nehemiah writes, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year even unto the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes the king. That is twelve years. I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. But the former governors that had been before me were chargeable unto the people and had taken of them bread and wine beside forty shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I because of the fear of the Lord. This third device of the enemy is a spirit of entitlement, particularly in leadership. Nehemiah records that those that had come before him who were intended by the king to seek the welfare of the region of Jerusalem and to seek the furtherance of that area of Ahasuerus' kingdom, they were supposed to advance it, but all they were concerned about was self. All they were concerned about was getting what they could, taking what they could out of it, living their best life, having everything handed to them. But Nehemiah did not set that example. First Peter chapter five and verse one reads this. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples 
to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. I speak it to myself. I speak it to everybody else in this church as disciples begin to follow you. You were not placed there to lord over them or to rule over them. I was not placed in the position I'm placed so that I could draw a nice salary, get a cool house and a nice car. But my calling is first and foremost to be a servant and to be a shepherd. Uh, I lead not by constraint, uh, but willingly by an example of the mercy of God. Uh, And God has promised each and every one of us a crown on our own head. Nehemiah's predecessors wanted to put their own crown on and they wanted the people to acknowledge their crown and tell them how nice it was. Uh, But if you hold off on that and you take on uh, the garb of a servant, then God himself will put a crown on your head in that day. And that's the crown that I want. See, I'm not entitled to stand here. I'm not entitled to sit out there. I'm a mess and I'm a wretch without God. But the enemy would love nothing more than the people of God uh, that have been sitting in the kingdom for a while to begin to think, man, uh, I deserve to be here. Uh, I deserve. And, And when we get entitlement, then we start thinking the Sunday service is all about us. Oh, it was too hot. It was too cold. They didn't sing the song I like. Pastor didn't shake my hand. He didn't preach about me. But God help us uh, to keep our mind uh, and our focus uh, on the advancement of the kingdom. It's not about me. Uh, It's not about you. It's about souls. There was another device of the enemy. And that was distraction. Nehemiah 6 and 1 Those same adversaries again, the rest of their enemies heard that they had built the wall and there was no breach left in it. Though at the time I had not set the doors on the gates, they called unto Nehemiah and they said, let us meet together in some of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. I think that's a great name for a, a place. If anybody ever asks you to go to Ono, you should know, don't go. I'm having fun with the rhyming here. This is unintentional. Don't go to Ono. And I might preach that some Sunday. Ono was 25 miles away from Jerusalem. Their desire was to distract Nehemiah. Why? Because mockery hadn't worked violence hadn't worked. They realized that Nehemiah was of a pure motive and a pure spirit. And so entitlement and this desire for self-advancement wasn't working. And so now they switch tactics and they try to distract Nehemiah. If they can't attack your character, if they can't attack your integrity, if they can't get you to stop because you're not scared of a little physical violence, then at best they might be able to distract you. But Nehemiah sends messengers back to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? And they called after him four times in the same manner. Let me just remind somebody this morning. You are involved in a great work. 
There is no higher calling than kingdom business. There is no greater work or task that you could be involved in than to labor for the kingdom. Whatever that looks like, whatever task and role God has placed you in, it is the highest calling possible. Uh, And do not be dissuaded and do not be distracted from it. Uh, If you're mowing the lawn, do it as unto the Lord. Uh, If you're preaching a sermon, do it as unto the Lord. Uh, If you're feeding your neighbor or you're clothing somebody that doesn't have clothes, uh, do it as unto the Lord because it is a great work. Uh, There is no higher calling than the kingdom. Uh, There is no higher calling than his business. And that Business is souls. There is a serious danger in distraction. A contemporary or roughly the same time period of Nehemiah is the prophet Haggai. It's the era where the temple has been started but is not finished. And we won't go there today for the sake of time, but... You should read through the first chapter of Haggai. God sends him to the people and he begins to tell them, look, the reason you're not being prospered is that you have purpose to focus on your own house rather than my house. And he tells them, look, I'm the one that has cursed your harvest. I'm the one that's withheld the rain. But Test me and see if you'll build my house if I won't pour out upon you. It's later in the chapter or in the book of Haggai in chapter 2 where Haggai prophesies that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. If we can ever, and I believe I'm talking to a group of consecrated and focused people, but don't doubt for a second that the enemy would try to distract you. But if our focus can remain like a laser on advancing his kingdom, on moving it forward, then the hand of God is going to fulfill his prophecy. The glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. God's going to have a church and I want to be focused. I want to be a part of it. A fifth weapon or a fifth device of the enemy. Lies and slander. Sanballat sends his servant in the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. It's open because he wants everybody to hear it, not just Nehemiah. It's like Facebook or the news or Twitter. If, if Twitter existed, Sanballat would have skipped the letter and just put it on Twitter. Nehemiah is trying to rebel against the king. So he says, it's reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel. For which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. Now, we already know that's not true, because that's not the character that Nehemiah has demonstrated. He said, you've appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying there is a king in Judah. And so he tries to get him to come and to take counsel with him. And the Bible says in verse 9, for they made us all afraid, saying their hands shall be weakened from the work that it shall not or that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. It's an attack on reputation. But you see, if we refuse to live for our own reputation and we choose instead to live for the kingdom of God, then you can trust and you can know God can take care of his own name. 
It, it, it really doesn't matter if, if they want to speak against me. Uh, but if I'm hidden inside of God, uh, then they're really speaking against God. Uh, my duty is to live a life that only brings honor and glory to the name of God. If they're speaking against me and there's truth found in it because I have low integrity or I've failed and I've fallen and I've sinned, then so be it. But if I'm striving to live a life of righteousness and I'm striving to live holy, you just let them say whatever they want to say. God can take care of his own name. Amen. And the sixth weapon, the final weapon is actually not the final. We got to keep trucking. Two more. Everybody doing all right? The sixth weapon was this. Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleiah, the son of Mehetabiel. Woo. Who was shut up and he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they'll come to slay thee. And I said, should it, such a man as I flee and who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in and lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. The sixth device of the enemy is to counterfeit the working of the Spirit. We saw it in the early church as well. Violence hasn't worked. Division hasn't worked. Mocking and slander and reputation hasn't worked. And so now he's going to try to look and sound and act like the people of God. First John in four and one warns us, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. See, we've been given the word of God so that we don't have to place our faith just in, in, in what a man comes to us and says. Now, I believe that the gifts of the Spirit and the working of the Spirit are still for today. I thank God uh, for the demonstration of the power of the Spirit, but let it align with the Word of God. Uh, let it align with the truth of the Word and try the Spirit's. You don't have to take everything I say at face value. Search it in the Word. Go home, study it, search through it. And if, if you begin to realize, wait, he's off the line, he is out of order, then I want you and some elders to begin to come to me. I want you to grab the hand of Bishop and begin to, to seek and to, to go because I'm human. I'm human. I'm not infallible. God's infallible. God's perfect. God is pure and his word is pure. But I'm a man. I believe in this last day as the demonstration of the spirit increases, the activity of the enemy will also increase. The devil is able to to portray himself or to show himself as an angel of light. It will look the same. It will sound the same. But those that are walking with the spirit will be able to discern. No, that's not right. That's not that's not the spirit of God. That doesn't that doesn't set well with my Holy Ghost. That doesn't align with the word. It's important that people seeking to build his kingdom are attuned with his spirit. And in spite of all this opposition, in spite of everything that the enemy 
throughout it. It's, it's just a little verse in Nehemiah. It's, it's thrown in there and it says the wall was finished. See, no matter what the enemy throws, if a people will remain focused, the kingdom will advance. The kingdom will go forward. The enemy does not have the power to stop a a Holy Ghost-filled people that are moving with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But they had one final device. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15 says, So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elu in 50 and 2 days. What a miracle. 52 days to build the entire walls of Jerusalem. And it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. See, they might say, it's going to come down if a fox goes on it. But they're watching and they realize that God is in it. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah. And the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. The final device of the enemy I want to talk about today as we speed towards a close is this. The enemy would love nothing more than just to blend the boundaries, to undo separation. The wall was built. The gates were set. It was completely closed up. And if you read just a little bit further in Nehemiah, Tobiah is still in the temple. He's living in the temple in a room that was supposed to be used for the purpose of storing consecrated temple implements and temple goods. And yet the enemy was dwelling. It would be like hell themselves living right there in the former baptismal room. The wall was built. The gates were up. But the enemy was inside. How did it happen? Because somebody through their association with their enemy and the alliance and allegiance with the adversary brought him right in through the gate uh, and brought him right into the house of God and placed him right there. Uh, And Nehemiah came back. He had gone to Shushan the palace. He comes back uh, and he realizes that the wall was pointless if the enemy was already inside. That's the value of a wall. That's the value of separation. That's the value of beginning to remove some things from your life. What good would it do us uh, to preach and to teach what we preach, uh, but be in allegiance to false doctrine? What good would it do us uh, to to scream and spit about holiness, uh, but be in allegiance to sin? What good would it do us uh, to stand firm on the word of God uh, when we'll allow the enemy to come right through the gate and take up legend uh, or to live right in the temple. Uh, No, uh, the most devious tactic of the enemy, uh, the one that finally succeeded in getting inside the city uh, was the simple blending of the lines. Uh, Everybody's telling Nehemiah how good a guy is Tobiah is. uh, And they're telling Tobiah all of Nehemiah's words. Uh, They've intermarried. uh, They've mixed together. uh, There's no more distinguishment or separation of the people of Israel. uh, And the enemy was in the temple. 
God still calls his people to stand up and to step out, to be different, to be distinct. You're not better. Nehemiah was not better than Tobiah, but he was pure and he was holy and he was consecrated. Anybody can come inside the wall. Anybody can come inside the house of God, but there is only one door. There's only one way. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. We're not too good for anybody. Everyone is welcome, but you can't come in a side door. You've got to come in the door. You've got to come in through the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's all stand together in this place right now. The tactic of the enemy that finally succeeded was to tear down barriers and walls. Not physical walls, but walls of belief, walls of tolerance, walls of acceptance. But I believe I'm looking at a group of people today. Uh, you're not, you, you realize that in your heart. I'm not better than anybody. I don't hate anybody. Uh, in fact, I love them so much. I'm praying for them uh, and I'm reaching for them. Uh, but there's a wall of separation uh, in the word that I've hid in my heart. Uh, and I want everybody to come through the gate.